welcome to Lost and Found and Rewound. I am Chris Lost. I'm Found Jim. And I am Rick Rewound. We open the show, every show, with a, a theme song that's a collaboration between the three of us. And I realized that that's the only thing that the three of us have ever done together musically. But Jim and I collaborated on a song called Splode. Thirty years. I, I remember that song. Thirty years ago, you remember that song? I remember the name. Uh-huh. And that Rick and I collaborated on a song Cassidy cover three years ago. Oh yeah. Do you remember Splode, Jim? I do. <laughs> I don't think I could play it right now, but the. <laughs> I don't. Well, think, here we go. I don't think I could. One, two, three. <laughs> it was a beautiful song. Uh, the music was. The music was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, there's some there's even more than we did several songs. Well, a group of us that summer did some recording. There's some interesting things. For the Trippin' People was was the <laughs> name of the recordings. I remember all. that. I'd like to open with a speech if you guys will let me let me do that. That's a good um, All right, I'll I have to go to the bathroom anyways. <laughs> Sorry to undermine. It's probably going to be very serious, right? I'm making no, light of this. And no, this is, this is not serious. Oh. This is not. Serious. Oh, okay. It, well, it's an apology, so I don't know oh, if that's wow. serious or not. Okay. So, um, I wanted to preface this speech by saying I'm not a critic. I'm a person who truly expresses my subjective opinion in the moment. Sometimes that's a reaction. It sometimes is well thought through. In every case, it's just my opinion. So please take all of my opinions I state on this podcast with a grain of salt. I guess this is more of a disclaimer than an apology now that I think about it. With that, I want to offer an apology to the band Soul Asylum. When I was completing <laughs> the assignment that Rick gave me to parse the entire Soul Asylum lyric catalog for references to trains, I listened to a ton of Soul Asylum, and all of the albums I listened to were awesome. So while, while you were out... Awesome, end to end, and I I recently criticized that album, so I apologize for that. Clam dip and other delights, incredible. I've forgotten how good that album is. And is that the song with the artificial heart song? Yeah, artificial hearts. On artificial that heart. There's a video of that, right? I I I. It's been like 25 or 30 years since I've seen the video, but I remember it being. There might there's funny. one for P9. That was the big video mm. that I think did pretty. I mean, we've got played on. 120 minutes or whatever. And then uh, Take It to the Root might be my favorite Soul Asylum song. Do you remember that song? It's kind of I, like yeah. a R&B, fast, really fast R&B hmm. tune. Uh, and then Hang Time, I criticized before, but it's end-to-end solid. Uh, <laughs> the song You had me completely doubting myself, but I didn't no. go back and listen. I'll have to listen to that record. And then Endless Farewell is a beautiful song that stays true to the spirit of, of soul asylum and then you know I, I go on here to say i've never written a song that would be nearly as good as probably the worst soul asylum song so i have no right to to criticize them uh and as a penance for for criticizing them i listened to their most recent album which just came out and uh while it didn't sound like the soul asylum that i hold near and dear to my heart if somebody had told me it was just hey listen to this album by this songwriter that I really enjoy, I would have listened to it and probably liked it. It was it was pretty damn good. So I'm sorry. I don't even I don't even think I 
am good enough to apologize to Souls <laughs> let alone criticize them. And then I realized that you guys might actually know them or may have played with them at some point too. So here I am criticizing some compatriots of yours. So We I did pl- play with them a few times. Yeah. It was, the I think, the second show I played with the band. That was, you know, wow. pretty amazing. I was like, wow. <laughs> I was like, yeah, we played at the, uh, yeah, my second show was, it was at uh, the stu- Marquette. N- yeah, the no. Student Union. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that show. Milwaukee. Yeah. So pre-fish tank. What's that? <laughs> they he, they used to put the drums in like a fish tank. Oh, oh. sneeze guard that we called it the sneeze guard. I, it yeah. might have been right around that time. God, I don't remember. I can't remember because they eventually ditched that. That's I remember right. seeing yeah. them later, and they would do like a forty-five minute acoustic set. And oh, I was man. like, uh-oh, is that what they're going to do instead of yeah. the, the the fish tank? And then they came out and did like an hour and a half of blaringly loud rock songs. So I wasn't quite sure how they were caring for his hearing, but it was, yeah. it was a great I think show. it was probably earplugs. He probably just got some custom earplugs. Um, yeah, so uh, what's his name? The, the guitarist, Dan, right? Mm-hmm. Dan? Yeah, Murphy. Dan yeah, Murphy. Dan Murphy. He was the one that we talked to the most. He was the most outgoing mm-hmm. member of the band, mm-hmm. at least for us. So that that was, I always remember talking to him. Yeah, I remember like looking. He's not in the band anymore. Backstage, that show, like, you know, it was one of, you know, it was the student union. So we were upstairs in some kind of big cushy room sort of. But I remember watch, looking out, it was on the second floor and... I think it was Carl and who's the drummer? I forgot the drummer's name. Carl, yeah. No, that's the bass player. Ah, uh, the drummer's name. Oh. Grant. Grant, right? Grant, yeah. Was there a Grant? I think so. I think Anyways, that's right. two of them were, yeah, it was like, <laughs> it was those. We're I both going to have to. It may have been different. I I'm going to start writing my apology. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was, they were looking out the window and they, oh, look over there. And they were trying, there was some guy on the roof of a liquor store across the street. <laughs> but nothing happened. Uh, nothing happened, though. That was all. It was like they were trying to figure out what he was doing up there. That's all I remember. <laughs> That's great. From that show, Jim is like my memory. <laughs> I have for me, the, the, basically that what ten or fifteen years of touring is just it's just all one giant black painted club. That's just all one big giant event, and I have no detail detailed memory of anything. <laughs> And Jim remembers everything, so I don't need to. There you go. Yeah, that's why I always I keep him around. He's always got just, a good story. I just sort of start. If you imagine like heaven, but like indie rock heaven, you know, basically it would kind of look like maybe CBGBs, but with more, like maybe painted a little nicer, and then like a thousand indie rockers all playing. That's kind of what my memory of touring is. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of like yeah. not quite rock and roll heaven. <laughs> It's more like indie rock heaven. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's like every night of my life from not touring, but just going to an indie rock club from 1990, 19, well, 1989 till 1996. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Soul Asylum drummers in since 1983, Dave Perner. Since, oh, I forgot about that. That was, was he... Was that when they were called Loud Fast Rules, though? Maybe. And then yeah. then it's got... Oh, this is weird. It says, 
um, Michael Bland since 2004, Pat Morley, 1993 to 1984, and Ian Mussington. They're they're missing something. 1998 to 2001. There is that's not. They're all, missing all the main drummers. guy. Grant Young, 1984 yeah. to 19, yeah. Wait for two years. Oh, 1984 to 1995. Eleven years. There you go. Okay. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Classic lineup. Speaking of Grant Young, I thought, um, and we talked about how they got rid of their drummer for, I think, in the host, horse they rode in on. I thought their drummer was their secret sauce. He was the one who would pull out all those crazy time, time signatures and beats, and he was great. He was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, but he was an indie rock drummer, and like I said, that's the Michael Beinhorn trick is you got to get somebody who can play to the click and... Yeah, you don't have to edit, because back then you'd have to edit the drummer um, on tape. You couldn't do it on a computer like now. It doesn't matter. You can be the world's worst drummer, and they'll just chop you up and fix it. Whereas back then, if you weren't like clockwork, then that wouldn't involve a huge amount of tape editing. Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't have a hit without that clockwork (laughs) drumming. So the producer is just lazy, is what you're saying. Well, or going for the hit. Yeah, I mean, that's why you hire a producer on that level is because they have a series of rules that they follow, and then lightning hit when they were following those rules one time, and so then for the next five years, people hire them to do the exact same thing, even even though it's still all they're doing is standing outside with a. Uh, iron pole waiting for a, th- a lightning storm to hit. It's not that's that's my view of of sort of a lot of producers as they they you know kind of stumble into uh, a hit and then they they kind of ride it for a while and then it's over. To to support that theory, I mean, I've been buying a lot of equipment, or we bought a lot of equipment, and we're trying to make like the studio sound really good. And then I go back and listen to albums that I like, and every once in a while, I'll come across a song that like I absolutely love, and I listen to it. The production is garbage, just terrible. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, a good song is a good song. You don't need you don't producers don't make good songs. Good songs make good songs. Sure. That said, this engineer Mac, and he kind of became a producer. I was not aware of him, a German guy, but I start looking around because basically I really like that. That's not the first Billy Squire record. What's the big hit Billy Squire record? That's right at that moment of kind of the peak of analog recording. And so this guy, Mac, did, you know, um, also recorded uh, some Queen stuff. There's And you start uh, listening to certain Queen songs and Billy Squire songs that have the heavy guitars from late, mm-hmm. like 1979, 1980. And it's, it's all this guy, Mac, yeah. this German producer is amazing. Mm-hmm. I just got obsessed with him. So that, but he was also an engineer. That's the thing is he was not just a producer. He started out as an engineer. And so that's, I think that's the difference. And yeah, he was able to get amazing sounds with bands that were probably close to self-producing. Is is lonely as the night? Was that a Mac produced? I remember yeah. those songs all had like great use of the room. Like he yep. delayed the room mics in such a way that just made the uh, the guitar sound massive. And then those songs would open with those riffs, 
everybody just wants you or every isn't yeah like yeah whatever. oh yeah and so there's just like again on youtube there's like just a short clip of him working on some sequencer part like it's it's going and i'm trying to remember the name of the studio worked in it's kind of famous it's in berlin right no munich yeah. um it's not not hansa oh no it's not hansa um it's yeah i think it's in munich but it's like him just working on the synthesizer part that's for that that you know electronic or kind of synth pop uh, queen record which isn't good which i had never really listened to you know they kind of tacked on under pressure onto it later mm-hmm. or after you know under pressure they recorded under pressure with david bowie but then they made this record after another one bites the dust you know so they did they went harder into kind of dance music but it was like him just working on a sequence and it just sounded amazing and i went back and listened to what is it called hot space what is that queen record called I don't know. it's a, not a good queen record but like the, there's there's a, a what is it dragon attack no that's on that's the on game the game yeah the game yeah but those the you you start listening and you hear those guitar sounds and the drum sounds on the rocking songs so basically the brian may songs um it's like oh wow this guy is the one who who made this sound and got this right and then yeah realizing oh it's the same guy who did the billy squire records so to review a producer is the most important part of recording an album (laughs) it depends it really depends i think just going back to my speech on opinions (laughs) rick what have you watched since the last time we've met Mm. I, so I had mentioned the uh, Duck You Sucker, the James Coburn Spaghetti Western. Um, and then I think I've gotten into some kind of James Coburn um, sort of it, the, the streaming services are just feeding me James Coburn films. But the one I watched was called Harry In Your Pocket. Oh, yeah. Which have you seen? Yeah. That? Oh, wow. Yeah. I'd never heard of it um, about a uh, pickpocket. Uh, uh, Michael Sarazin is in it. That's another 70s, 60s, 70s actor that completely dropped off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, oh, what's the old older actor playing the older pickpocket? That was, it was really interesting. Yeah, I, I saw it a few, yeah, I rented it a few years ago. I, I, exactly that. I was like looking up James Coburn movies for some reason. I can't remember why, but that's, yeah, I came across that and why. I remember like, I didn't believe that those two were, that streetwise, the kids, you know, the young yeah. people that he takes under his wing to train as pickpockets. Isn't that kind of the story? And they're, they yeah. seemed a little too squeaky clean, like kind of college kids. Or, I can't remember. And I'm trying that. to remember, is the woman, is the woman, uh, the woman from uh, the Dolphin movie with George C. Scott, is, is that who the woman is? She's, and she's the woman that he, he, he dumped, uh, what's her name for? and married her. I think that's who the woman... Oh, no. I, I, w- I watched another movie that had... Uh, what? I'm looking at my list, though, and I haven't. I don't have it here. Maybe it is her. Um, Day of the Dolphin, right? Yeah. I should look that up. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll check it right now. You can edit this, Chris. <laughs> oh, uh, you know I will. <laughs> <laughs> so Trish Van Devere is who was in Day of the Dolphin... Let's see if she's in, in, yeah, she's, she's the female lead in Harry in Your Pocket. Yeah. And she married uh, George C. Scott. Um, what else did I watch? Um, I just watched this the other day. Was Black Sunday? Oh, yeah. The, uh, the Super Bowl movie. John, <laughs> Super Bowl movie with John Frankenheimer. 
uh, directed it with uh, Bruce Dern as the crazy blimp or dirigible. Is it a blimp? The Goodyear blimp is a blimp. Yeah. Yes, the blimp blimp pilot. Who's is there a difference between a blimp and a dir- dirigible? Oh, Chris, that so disappointing. A Guys, and a you're the educated ones. <laughs> a blimp is what? Uh, well, a blimp and a zeppelin. A zeppelin is an, like an airship, I think. Te- it's like well, a rigid... A, a zeppelin is a dirigible. They just don't call them zeppelins because I believe it's called a dirigible because they don't want to call it a zeppelin, or they didn't want to call rigid airships. So, yeah, okay. rigid airships are dirigibles or zeppelins. And they have a, a they blimp. Have a, a, a frame. Like, you know, right. the film so, of yeah, the Hindenburg going up and burning. You can see the metal frame. So blimps don't have that metal frame. Like the Goodyear blimp is just a balloon. Oh. So they they're kind of have some kind of structure, but they're not steel, light steel <laughs> frame. Right? I, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. No idea. <laughs> it's just. Why don't you know this stuff, Chris? I'd like I'd like to know if anybody if the people who listen to this n- knew that. Like I want to know what percentage of our audience knew knows the difference, difference between a blimp and a dirigible. Yeah, I want to know what side I, I'm on. <laughs> like I would I don't on the wrong side of the blimp. I, well, I know um, that. I know I'm on the wrong side of the blimp dirigible knowledge fence. <laughs> Black Sunday, I I don't know. It's 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 probably the best deranged Bruce Dern performance. I don't think it's a great movie. There's that great scene where they test the uh, the sort of firing mechanism that shoots out all the the stuff in the barn, and it pokes little holes evenly. Like he he's wound up murdering someone to test it, right? And he's just looking at the dispersion of the bullet holes throughout this barn and marveling at them, and goes on this insane like ten minute monologue about it, and it's oh, I I it's it's got great moments, but it's I. I remember. I don't from, know if I'd it, ever seen it. It was a CBS late night movie. That's how I remember. Mm. And I don't. I don't even remember any of it to be honest. I thought it was a. Yeah. A, they were just going to crash a bomb blimp into the Super Bowl. I didn't realize there was bullets well, involved. Things things happened, and then they wound up just crashing. Yeah, he just wound up trying to crash the blimp into, uh, the, uh, into the Super Bowl. There is a scene though where where the guy says. Well, first off, oh, yeah, uh, Robert uh, Shaw is in it, too. And Robert Shaw's, what is this Super Bowl? <laughs> that's not a Robert Shaw accent. That's He has the Robert Shaw accent. But, um, and, and then he, he says, we're going to have to cancel it. And, and the guy goes, the Super Bowl will not be canceled. That would be like saying we're going to cancel every sporting event in the world. Oh. And I, I got a little chill. Wow. By, by the way, I found my notes for the episode that we were going to tape just before this global event happened. And one of the one of the notes was I was going to quiz you both on the Super Bowl. So I might, well, let's do let's take this moment right now to do that. Here's here's the quiz. Who won the Super Bowl? Uh, I, it's Kansas City, right? Oh, good job. Yeah. Did you did you know this, Rick? Oh. This year, last there've been like forty of them, right? Kansas City has won <laughs> a little more than that. The last, the last Super How Bowl many? ever, fifty, right? Right. Yeah. 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 Well, Kansas City's won two Super Bowls now. Yeah. Yeah, I knew that because I yeah I never talked to you about it because I figured 
you were probably pretty happy about that. But I remember it was like, oh. Well, I'm not a Kansas City fan. I'm a right, Titans fan. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Yeah, I thought I knew it was complicated. You and football. It is. <laughs> you do remember that, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, good job. I'm glad you was got that the that. whole ding ding was, ding. Yeah, I got one point. So was that the whole quiz? That, here's, yeah, that was it. But hey, I've got one for you, Rick. Can you name a team that has won a Super Bowl? Um, the New York Jets. Very good. That's true. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how many times they, I know they've won once at least. Do you know who their quarterback was? The uh, uh, Joe Namath. Look at that. Rick. Rick's. Am I right? Suddenly become a sports <laughs> chronologist. I. Uh, that reminds me of the movie. I remember seeing this on TV when I was a really little kid. It's what is the movie called? The Joe Namath movie, where he's like a rebel motorcycle guy, and. My childhood memory is is that he walks into a grocery store. I think this is the opening sequence of the film. He walks into a grocery store, like opens up a bag of bread and takes out two pieces of bread and then walks to the lunch meat area and pulls off like a package of bologna and takes out the bologna and then goes find some mustard and put, squirts mustard on it and eats the sandwich. And that, I must have been four or five when I saw this. I was like, it blew me away. It was like... How is this happening? How could a person do this? How could somebody walk into a store and not pay and make a sandwich? It 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 really really freaked me out as a as a small child. Wow, Joe Namath. Yeah. That's amazing. It's a testimony yeah. to what good children you were. I think at that age, I had already <laughs> stolen my first sandwich. <laughs> so I would have been like, how could you be so brazen? Don't you need a big coat or what's 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 the approach here? I guess if you ate the sandwich before you walked out, I mean, that's fair game, right? And if you go to a grocery yeah. store, everything you eat in the store is free. It's just the stuff you're trying to leave with. <laughs> that's, right. that's the issue. It's I, I'm wondering if the reference of, you know, like the Big Lebowski where he has yeah. the milk yeah. on his on his beard, right, on his mustache mm -hmm. is is a reference to that movie. It's entirely possible. But yeah, to be fair, he he pays for it. He he opens he's, he he's checking the expiration dates and drinks the half and half or whatever cream when he's first oh. his white russians and yeah, and then I think he's that's all he's buying. That's he writes a check for like 59 right, cents right. and it's, it's okay. just the carton. It's already open. He yeah, is, he's got the milk mustache. So he's already drank it. He's not stealing. Okay. Well, I never... It's probably because I have Joe Namath in my mind. <laughs> what else have you seen? Our, what else did you consume? Um, <clears throat> I, f I watched Escape from New York with my 11-year-old uh, and he, he was very angry because I said, let's watch a movie we'll both like. And then I started watching it and he said, I don't want to watch this. And I said, well, I want to watch it. And he said, I thought we were going to watch a mo movie that we would both like. But he watched the whole thing. Huh. Um, and he didn't, and, yeah, he didn't so like it? He, he, he grudgingly liked it. He's, he's talked about it. But he, was, he just felt it, there, it, the core of it was unfair in that I made him watch it and he didn't want to. Oh. <laughs> so, but I think, I think it worked. I think it sunk in. It's rated R, right? It is. It's... Not it's it's a pretty soft R. Yeah, right. There's no it's more like there's a, no nudity in a, it. I don't think. No, yeah, I don't think so. And it's it's yeah, it's more like a contemporary PG thirteen. Right. I would say it's probably a template for a PG thirteen. I watched a documentary about Connie Plank, actually a producer, an engineer producer. So 
that was another person, German. Uh, he worked with Kraftwerk and Can and Noy. Not Can. I don't think he ever. Or he worked with Holger, Holger Zuke from Can. I don't know if he actually did anything with Can directly. Um, engineered that first Devo record, right? So Brian Eno was the producer, but Connie Plank was the engineer. Um, Houdini, he produced the uh, Houdini. The you remember that rap group Houdini? Mm-hmm. They're in the documentary. Wow. So is the uh, is the really lesson great. that the engineer is important, but the producer is not? My philosophy is if you're going to have a producer, it should be a producer engineer. That's my advice to musicians is don't have a person who is simply a producer, who is an idea person, because that's basically adding another artist into the mix. Whereas a producer engineer, right, someone who knows how to engineer, started out as an engineer and has kind of gotten the mantle of producer so they know how to get sounds or they're, yeah, they, they're a translator more than a, just a person who wants to interfere with your uh, your vision and put some of their vision in your vision, right? The typically producer engineers, not typically, but I would say you're more likely to get your um, vision translated into the studio um, by a producer engineer rather than just a producer because there's going to have to be an engineer helping the producer get all the sounds. Yeah, and they say Rick Rubin... His secret sauce was that he had uh, this tremendous engineer that worked with him the whole time. That's how all those yeah, great what's his name were made. From uh, Bark Market, right? Was it what's his name? Dave uh, Sardi, I think, is at least this band Bark Market. The guitar player from this band Bark Market just really was able to had some great um, guitar sounds in the '90s, early '90s, late '80s, and I think he did a lot of Rick Rubin stuff. Uh, last thing I watched uh, was, I just watched this last night, uh, Recorder, the Marion Stokes Project, about this African-American communist former librarian who wound up marrying a very wealthy man, and she started videotaping the news, oh, yeah. the 24-hour news cycle. Uh, so interviews, well, sort of talks about her early life and then interviews with the people who, you know, she, she was very wealthy, also bought a huge amount of Apple stock, was obsessed with computers and Apple and basically leveraged her husband's wealth into enormous wealth by buying Apple stock, you know, so, um, uh, but uh, she would have, what is it, four to eight VCRs running constantly, and so she started recording, I think, Nightline. She had VCRs before then, but she started recording Nightline, and then when CNN went on the air, she, she started recording CNN 24-7, and was recording like MSNBC, CNN, Fox, um, and then local news. I can't remember. Was she in Philadelphia? I can't remember where she lived. But um, basically for 35 years was running VCRs constantly recording this, and it's it's some of the only documentation of a lot of this stuff. Really? Um, so it was actually yeah. a, a service. Yeah, so it's it's kind of about that whole thing where she basically... Her and her husband became these recluses, but she and the people who worked for her, you know, she was responsible for a few of the VCRs. And then, you know, if they went out, they'd put in an eight-hour VHS tape, and then, you know, she'd know, oh, you know, machine number three is about to run out. We got to get home and stuff like that. It's amazing. But um, SLP, yeah, it, she'd set the SLP. 
Yeah, 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 exactly. And so it wound up all going to the Internet Archives. They, they've gotten it, but it was that kind of thing. She, yeah, so she started, basically her collection started with the uh, Iran uh, hostage crisis, Iranian hostage crisis in 1979, and went through, she died the day of the uh, Newton uh, massacre. What was the name of the grade school? She wasn't, she wasn't alert, but they, it's really that, that I shouldn't talk about it, but that end, the, the part where they talk about the day she died, you know, and everything, it's really, it's really powerful. And also talking, you know, so she's, and she was an activist, you know, um, from the sixties and, and a communist originally. And so she, from before then, like the fifties. And so she saw this as a public service and part of like, um, basically like, look at the way the media is talking about this event and this event and compared to this event, it was all about, you know, keeping an eye on the media and recording it and documenting it because she had a, you know, powerful, um, I thought, you know, idea that, oh, this, this is changing the world and it's rewriting the world and it's why we perceive obvious, you know, it's all that obvious stuff, but she thought it was important to document it all. And everyone's assumption is, oh yeah, no, CNN has you know, all their stuff archived, right? No, they don't. <laughs> so she actually did document the 24-hour news cycle. And so, yeah, they said she'd have something like four machines running for most of the time. And then if it was a big event, you know, like 9-11 or something, she'd go up to eight machines, right? And so it was was interesting. Was Sandy Hook, was that when the, she yeah, died? Yeah, Sandy Hook. Okay. Is, oh, interesting. Yeah, she died that day. And then... Yeah. Um, the Iranian hostage crisis, that's when Ben Affleck saved the hostages? Is that? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay. I got it. Got my history straight, at least. That's amazing. I mean, I bet a lot of people have used that footage, right? Is it, is, is it available for use in our documentaries they're, they're, using it? They're transferring it now, I guess. Jim, what have, what have you consumed since we last were together? I didn't really finish much. I tried, I started watching... Oh, there's this movie called Patience After Seabald, which is like a documentary almost, or it's about this writer. My mom saw it, and she liked it, so I, it sounded interesting. But it's, 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 I'd never heard of this writer, but he's German, and he lived in England and died, of, I don't know, several years ago, but died kind of young, I think. But was sounds like he would have won the Nobel Prize if he had in literature if he had lived or he's a lot of people really love his books and but they're very highbrow and i have a feeling you know it sounded interesting like the book but i have a feeling a lot of it would just be like no idea what he's talking about but the movie was interesting even though i didn't finish it but <laughs> it was i think it's by the guy who did uh you had the the, the radiohead documentary was it meeting meeting people oh. is easy is that what it's called is easy. Oh I yeah, think it, I think it's that guy did this, but it's from a year or two, a couple of years ago. But it's like you know, it's kind of a heavy. <laughs> I just couldn't get into it. But if I was in the, a different mood, I think I would. I'd, I'll try and watch it again. But if you're in the mood for something heavy, literary, and people talking about how much they love this book, I don't know. You know, it's a very sounds like a strange book, but. Um, it's called like the rings of rings of Saturn, I think is his book, but I did not finish it. The same, same thing. I, I started watching medium cool. I didn't finish, which I had to be fair. I've seen that before. So, 
but I just I had seen Medium Cool is by Haskell Wexler, and I think I saw it. Right. Robert Forster was in it, right? He just passed away oh, recently. Okay, yeah. And uh, uh, what's his name? Peter Bonners from, oh, from right. uh, the Bob Newhart show. The dentist, Jerry, the dentist. <laughs> is in. He's like a, I think he's the cameraman. He's the news cameraman. But it takes place in Chicago during 1968, the riots. And it, it's, it's uh, well, the last time I, the, when I actually saw the whole movie was, 20 years ago, whatever, it was at Ebert Fest again. Ebert Fest, right, and, yeah, and Haskell Wexler was there. Yeah, yeah. that was really cool. He inter- interviewed him and everything. And I started watching that again, and it seemed very relevant. <laughs> to. It seemed like kind of like to today, it was like not a lot has changed in a way, or it just seemed very current. And the 1968 stuff was like in Chicago. Oh, it was yeah. It like, seemed, I think it was a little crazier than, you know, that I, I don't want you know, to compare the two, but. It just was like 50 years ago, but it it didn't seem very dated at all. Felt, yeah. <laughs> but Speaking, right, right. Spe- what is Medium Cool about? Yeah, is it about it, riots? Well, it's about a newsman. They're like, see, I, yeah, I, since I didn't watch it again, I've, it's been a while since I actually saw the whole thing. But they're, uh, it's about kind of like the media. He's like a news uh, newsman. And it takes place in Chicago in 1968, the you know the riots at the the national the Democratic convention and he uh, Haskell Wexler filmed a lot of it on the streets like with the actors it's fiction but they were wandering around downtown Chicago like when this was all happening like during the riots basically and he's filming the actors these you know fictional characters walking around interacting with people and you know, the police and everything, and, and it's all real. It's just they were wandering around while all this stuff was happening, and he was just filming filming the actors in the midst of reality. <laughs> so it's very interesting in that respect. Yeah, so kind of using documentary methods, but to tell a narrative, sort of semi-fictional story, but yeah, it's happening during the summer yeah. of 1968 in Chicago and there's during the riots. There's so like yeah, footage of them, yeah, in Grant Park, you know, like where I remember, you know, the old, since we all grew up there, is like the old band shell. I just remember the old band shell in Grant Park. And uh, there's some footage that's, I think it's like when there's some stuff happening, you know, there's kind of panic or people are running around and it was like, you can see a shot of the stage and there's a bunch of amps up there. And I remember yeah, hearing about that later was the MC5 were supposed to play. And they were like, they oh, were the only band that showed up. There were yeah. supposed to be oh. a bunch of bands playing, and that yeah. was that's the story. Is the MC five were the only like all the other bands that were supposed to play at the Democratic National Convention um wussed oh. out when they heard that there were riots and everything like that. And the MC five were like, We're we're going. What do you mean <laughs> not going? That's even more of a reason to play. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's in this movie, it might be just, I can't remember if I'm combining different things. Maybe it was just some news footage I saw, but I'm sure it's in this movie. But there's some shot, and I remember seeing the stage and all these amps. And it's like, oh, I bet that's, that's MC5's amps. But, <laughs> it was like, but yeah, they never got to play. They cleared the park. That's awesome. I, uh, I noticed that on the What's Up Doc episode, of course, you know, we've, we record this, these episodes probably a year ago. But on the What's Up Doc episode, we're talking about Catherine Bigelow and I bring up yeah. Detroit. I think Detroit would be a good film to watch in the current age. It's it's a it's a great movie. I I really liked it. It's one of her best. 
been trying to, you know, I've got some new little synthesizers. I've been trying to learn those, <laughs> trying to get my head around. So you taught yeah. yourself keyboards? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> if you could call it that, yeah. <laughs> it's like like typing, hunt, hunt and peck typing, yeah. So do you play chords? Well, lately, notes? just notes because, yeah, the, the, some of the little the synthesizer stuff, the new stuff I've gotten has, has been all mono mono synths. So. And but. I may not have taken piano lessons, but I think chords are made out of notes, aren't they, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Are they? I don't think so. I'd have to go look that up. I just put my fingers on the strings where the guy tells me and then makes a noise. That's all I know. <laughs> Roy, Roy Clark, where Roy Clark's big note songbook tells you. There was something where they put stickers on the fretboard, right? Yeah. Which? Yeah, I think that was part of the big note songbook. I used, I borrowed somebody's Roy Clark's big note songbook, but I didn't use the stickers. But it was, it was useful. I just, yeah, I don't, I don't know all that music stuff. That's a little, that's a little advanced for me. <laughs> I just, I use my guitar like a controller. I run it through a bunch of pedals. I hit it and it makes a noise and sometimes it's a good noise sometimes it's most of the time it's a bad noise you're you're like brian eno you're more of a producer <laughs> how dare you sir <laughs> hey brian eno's cool right oh, i love brian eno yeah if you're calling me brian eno i'll take that if you're calling me a producer <laughs> well i'm not even good enough to be a producer but uh i watched two jason robards films crimson no. tide was the first one He's in. He's in wow. it. He's uncredited. He was in it for all of like thirty seconds, I think. Did you watch Quick then, Change? I did. Oh, okay. And it was awesome. Saw Boomerang with Eddie mm-hmm. Murphy. Hmm. Good movie. Halle Berry, Eddie Murphy, Halle Berry, and uh, Robin Givens. Incredible all-star cast. Actually, pretty incredible. Then I watched Safety Not Guaranteed. Yeah. You guys seen that? Is that the the one about the time travel? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Aub- I did see Aub- that. Aubrey Plaza and one of the Duplass brothers. Right. It's great. And then The Hunt, a recent film, kind of like Most Dangerous Game. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that was my thought. Is is that does that movie resonate? Is that a better commentary on our current environment? I'm not talking about uh, pandemic environment, but just the political environment more so than Joker? Or is it just, I had my hopes that it would be a, a great movie to sort of start thinking about the divide in our country, but I haven't actually seen it. Yeah, so first of all, Joker, I I didn't get any message out of Joker, right, so I'm right. not sure what you're talking about. I thought Joker was just garbage. That's what I mean. Um, is, is like so what everyone said Joker was supposed to be, right? Is the hunt actually that movie? What oh, people claim Joker is. I think the hunt um, is just a fun romp that uses the devices of liberal versus conservative people very effectively to where the jokes about it are really fun. But I don't think it's making any sort of statement, oh. to be honest. And in fact, I, if I, it, and it's making more of a statement about cancel culture than it is about politics. Uh, and I have a question. I I'm, I really really want to watch the movie, but um, it 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 doesn't have any blood in it or anything, right? Because I'm a little squeamish. Yeah, not at all. Okay, good. not at all. There's no 
There's not a scene where a man's eyeball is pulled out oh. with a woman's heel. All right. Okay. So, yeah, there's not watch that, it. There's not that scene. I don't think I can watch it. I really wanted it's, to because it got it got banned or it got got pulled right basically because um, it went through the Fox News cycle for like some moment where it said basically like no one had seen the movie yet, but then the uh, Fox News got a hold of it and said it's uh, you know about uh, what are, not what are they called not the undesirables what are they called what Hillary Clinton Hillary Clinton called. the great unwashed no 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 what did Hillary Clinton call Awful racist people, and apparently was wrong for oh, doing the, so. D- deplorables? deplorables. Deplorables. It was basically yeah. They were saying people are hunting deplorables, and and so Fox basically made a big deal out of it, and it got pulled from theaters. I liked it because I don't think it takes either side very seriously, which is kind of my political stance. Yeah, <laughs> I live in ignorance. I read or I listened to because my eyes are so bad. I listened to two books. One was called Just Mercy, which is a fantastic book. It's about the systemic oppression of black people in the South. Well, actually, in the whole country, to be honest. And uh, it was fantastic. And certainly now is the time to kind of catch on to stuff like that. And then I listened to Acid for the Children, the flea book, oh. which was not as good as the Anthony. So if you're if you're wondering which Red Hot Chili Peppers book is better, <laughs> Anthony Kiedis' book, Scar Tissue, or... Lee's book, Acid for the Children, you should just listen to or read Anthony Kiedis' book. Really? Wow. Because Flea seems like he would have had a much more interesting life, right? He was homeless and was a... He's in... Uh, what movie is he in? Suburbia, right? Yeah. He, he just had a jazz... His stepdad was a jazz musician. That was sort of his... Oh. That's the thing. I listened to both these... I read both these books um, and I heard about their childhoods. I got both these guys beat, right? This... They, they didn't have it that bad. I was, I was like, I was like, I could tell you some stories, Flea. I mean, this shit, you know, he sits there, complains, you know, and then, you know, I, granted, uh, I wasn't that, I was not a good human being as a product of that shitty upbringing, but I'm like, I don't know, both Kiedis and Flea, uh, yeah, I got some stories I could tell. They, 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 they didn't have it. I mean, they had it bad, but they didn't have it terrible. Yes. I'm no oh. Red Hot Chili Peppers fan, so. You, you know, I was thinking about um, th- when you were talking about the New Day Rising, or was it, it was you, Rick, right? You had yeah. cut off the last three songs of New Day Rising, and then, Jim, you had uh, horribly censored <laughs> <laughs> Minutemen's Double Nickels on the Dime. I actually um, felt like the first 10 songs on blood sugar sex magic the this the chili peppers record that kind of broke them i don't know if you'd say that or not were actually really good Hmm. and then everything after that on that album was shit so it was like all the way up to um under the bridge so right before under the bridge starts it's a really good record you've listened to the record recently or are we going to get an apology next episode where you say i'm sorry i said this record was really good but i realized i listened to it again and I have to say, there there is no good Red Hot Chili Peppers music. I'm waiting. I'll, I'll, I will wait eagerly for that apology. I actually did listen to quite a few Red Hot Chili Peppers records as I read the Flea book, or uh, well, as I like in between listenings, I should say. And boy, it was it was all pretty bad. But yeah, I don't know. I don't want to set myself up for an apology. So yeah, yeah. If you if you talk about 
punk funk or funk punk or whatever you want to call it. The Red Hot Chili Peppers are probably the worst example of that. Well, that's all we have for for consumption. I didn't do that much. Guys, any other topics? Well, what about people's comments about the movie? I, I, I stopped looking at them. I did see someone say something about uh, What's Up Doc not aging well, and I was trying to figure out what that meant. Stuart M. wrote, dreadfully dated now. Yeah. And it, it got a, somebody posted a cry, and then Marcus A. says, don't agree. And then <laughs> Beverly, Beverly M. says, delightfully dated now <laughs> to, to, to Stuart M., Yes, that's the whole point. And and yeah, so watching a nostal a movie that has nostalgia for a previous era also, it's it's kind of like a double loop. Yeah, that was my comment is it was delightfully dated then, right? This, the yeah. movie yeah. was it was dated a throwback when it came yeah. out. Yeah. I can't remember what the next movie is, so I'm really excited to find out what it is. I actually have the same excitement as the few <laughs> listeners who've actually listened to the podcast rather than just commenting on a screenshot of a scene from the movies we watch. <laughs> well, I wrote a speech to announce the next film. I actually did. Um, so I will end on this because it has a bit of a serious tone. So oh, okay. um, our next film is the 1981 Burt Reynolds action thriller, Sharky's Machine. And with that announcement, I do want to say that I picked Sharky's Machine over a year ago and we recorded the episode about a year ago. And the order of our episodes was predetermined well before we started recording the podcast. So it is unfortunate that a gritty police drama is our next episode at this time in history. So we just want to say Ahmad Arbery and Breonna Taylor, George Floyd and uh, Rayshard Brooks should all still be with us today. And our hearts go out to their friends, family and all the people around the world who were impacted by their deaths. We would encourage you all to donate to Black Lives Matter. Uh, we do need to change things. This, it's you know clear that racism in this country is systemic and it needs to end. It's just enough is enough. We need to we need to turn the corner for all Americans and make sure everybody gets the the same rights that that we've been given. So um, yeah. our hearts go out to the folks who have lost people over you know hundreds of years uh, given the situation, and we hope that. Finally, enough is enough.